How are you doing? Did anybody tell you you could sit down? Would you please stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and from the bottom of our hearts, we're grateful. May this morning, may every morning, may this day and every day, may we just offer our lives back to you as a beautiful gift. We thank you. We pray for boldness and humility as we model your message. We pray that others will see you in us. We love you. We give this service back to you. It's in your name. Amen. Wait. You may be seated. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we're talking about being the message, okay? And it's based on a book by Chris and Carrie Shook. And we've talked about how our actions should go hand in hand. We must not just be masters of the words. Our words must translate into loving deeds. We must not talk a good game. We must love sacrificially. I'm going to ask you a question from last week, okay? See if you were paying attention. Is anybody here a spook for Bobby? Right on. If you weren't here last week, have no idea what I'm talking about, I'll just say this. You have to love Mr. Terry Esau. He'll tell you something you've never heard before. He told a story of someone pretty far out on the fringe, pretty anti-religion, but through years of persistent, relentless deeds of love, finally came to the point where she saw Jesus, and she saw Jesus' love in other people. That poses the question, is Jesus in our lives? Is he in our lives in how we live, how we express our love? Are we doing something so bold and so courageous and so just outrageous that people are actually shocked, they're jolted by our faith because they see Jesus right next to us? What do you think it'd be like to be around Jesus? Go back to the New Testament a little bit and just picture Jesus walking. If Jesus were sitting here right now in the front pew in physical form, how would we feel? What would we do? Well, first of all, I'd probably let him come up here and preach. But just think about it. Jesus right next to you. I think about grace and I think about love a lot, and it's true, Jesus is the guy of grace and love. He loves me no matter what, totally true. But if you spend any time in the New Testament, if you spend any time in the Gospels, there is another dimension that's quite telling that's added to him. Do you ever do anything that jolted at people? Do you ever say anything that surprised people? We can look at the three years of his ministry and look how the disciples reacted just to him. They were surprised. They didn't understand. They were often uncomfortable trying to guess what he would do next. They questioned how and the who of his methodology. They were afraid. But Jesus was patient with them. That's true. He's patient with us, but there's also another side. He's very deliberate. How did he teach them about faith? They went out in a boat in a dangerous storm, and he said, get out of the boat, the boat and walk to me. That's how he taught them about faith. What did he de- teach them about discipleship? He taught them to be merciful, to look at people the way God looks at them, and to go to people that nobody else would go to, the people that the rest of the world, the rest of us, would deem ugly, but are beautiful children in God's 
vision. Jesus' training fused content and context always, he was always pushing them, let's move, let's go. Here's something interesting. The teaching of Jesus always revolves around obedience. His model of teaching and training assumed that the disciples did not know something until they actually did it. And he promised them the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit showed up when? When they needed it. When they were out on the fringe, when they were out on the edge, when they were out there making disciples so far beyond themselves that they had no choice but to fall on their face and say, God, I can't do it. You can. Make me bold. Make me humble. Let's not let Sunday just be a bunch of words. I think the point of this series is that during the week we live very intentionally. Our words become actions. We become the message. And we start looking at people differently everywhere, all the time. I know a lot of us here this morning have areas of ministry. We're already doing stuff. But as I was preparing for this series and message a couple times ago, I got really convicted. I'm in outreach. That's a big chunk of my life. But I asked Jesus, is there any other area that I'm not fully engaged in? Am I being the message everywhere to all people at all times? I got a simple reply. Jesus said, nope. We moved last fall, and it's Minnesota, so the winter came. You drive into your garage, you hit the garage door, you drive out. We know our neighbors, but not real well, okay? I haven't been in their lives. I haven't been finding out their needs. I haven't started that dialogue with them. They don't know what we're all about. So I shared with you guys that we wanted to have a barbecue, invite them over and get in their lives. And one of the beautiful things about being married to the person I'm married to is I can have a big mouth. I can say all the things I want to say, and then she's the one that actually backs me up. makes me look good. So what Terry did was she made an invitation and she sent it out. She said, please come to our house. Let's get to know each other. Let's have a barbecue. Let's have a bonfire because we like to burn stuff at our house. (laughs) That's the greatest form of entertainment. Let's have a barbecue, a bonfire. We'll provide the food and drink. You bring your empty aerosol cans over. (laughs) Evangelism explosion, right? Let's do it. But I prayed about it. We have choices. The choices we make affect our hearts. And honestly, heart is everything. I think the biggest compliment you can give to anyone is to say, you know what? That person is all heart. She is all heart. He is all heart. As Kevin and I were talking about this sermon in particular, we were looking at the attitudes that would just make up the DNA of a Christian. Fruits that you cannot fake. There are some basic tenets to our faith, those attitudes that anyone looking in on our lives can just see, and through those attitudes they can see Jesus. We both agree that people that are full of Christ's love have attitudes of humility, compassion, vulnerability, and they're just grateful. Heart is everything. But how do you get a heart that's just all the time for others, always thinking about others, just filled with love for others? And as Kevin and I were talking about, we agreed that these attitudes really don't come that naturally. But there's good news. We can choose to be like this. These attitudes, character traits are all outward focused, and we can choose. They're focused on the well-being of others. What we want to unpack this morning is a really cool truth. 
Even though we're sinners, even though we're selfish, uncaring, self-righteous, and feel entitled, it doesn't always have to be like that. Want to know one of the really cool things about our faith walk? I think sometimes we get wrapped up in self and we're building ourselves up. We say to ourselves, I know this, I know that. And some of us are really quite smart and think we've arrived. I got it. I know. I'm smart. I'm probably smarter than the person sitting next to me. Okay? Wait for it. That's not the really cool part, okay? That was sarcasm. All right? I'm learning that I have to tell you directly when I'm being sarcastic, okay? But sarcastic, sarcasm is a gift. Um, I realize I don't always translate. And by the way, we are literally not going to throw empty aerosol cans into the fire, okay? Is that clear? Anything else I need to clear up? Mystery necessitates humility. Let me explain. Here's the cool thing. This is it, okay? Repeated choices demonstrated in actions become a daily attitude or a character. I think it's a sign of maturity when someone is following Christ when they can admit there's things that they don't know. And for me, I've always looked at it. I had this revelation a long time ago. A professor, we were talking about it, and we were talking about the sphere of our knowledge, right? And I know this spiritual stuff. My sphere is like this. But outside of it, when we see, like in the Gospel of Mark, the mystery is beautiful. And outside my sphere of knowledge, the spiritual stuff, is the mystery of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection outside. What happens when my sphere of knowledge gets bigger? It comes more in contact with the mystery. 1 John 4.12 says this, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Somehow we're supposed to embody God's love. John says that no one has ever seen him, but if we love one another, God abides in us. If we were to love one another the way God truly wants us to, the way that we're supposed to, someone could walk in this room and see Jesus. When people see us, do they get a glimpse of God? Do they get a glimpse of Christ? Or do they just see a lot of knowledge about spiritual things? Knowledge is essential. It's important, but it is not enough. Knowledge without humility is quite frankly stupidity. If Jesus were here, do you think he'd be humble? Do you think you could see his humility? Philippians 2, 5-8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross is a mystery for me. Honestly, I don't get it all. I don't get all that. How can a love so deep take everything ugly about me? The sacrifice, I think I get glimpses of the implication of what Christ went through on the cross, but honestly, I don't understand all of it. I think we get glimpses of eternity. But I think like Moses, we only get glimpses because that's all we can bear. There's a misconception Humility is not self-degradation. Because putting yourself down is false humility. False humility. It's still about yourself. It's still about you. 
Humility is about thinking of others, considering others more important than yourself. It's focused on eternity. I want to focus on building up those who are discouraged. Because the Bible says that's what love does. When talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God did not gift you for you. He gifted you for others. We have to be constantly thinking, how can I build up the people around me? That's humility. The humble person will also always be comfortable with the mystery. I think they'll find actually security in it as part of faith. But humility, I believe, breeds compassion. A humble person will naturally have a compassionate heart, which again is outward focused, not focused on self. This is Christ's attitude. Galatians 6, 2 says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We have choices. Do I choose to be compassionate? And it's hard, I know. We're busy. There's lots of stuff. My days go by like that. But this is the attitude, when I think about it, I get most uncomfortable if I'm imagining Jesus right next to me, this compassionate part. Because I always ask myself, am I giving enough? Am I far enough out there? Am I loving people in a way that is totally selfless? Left on my own, without praying for humility and boldness in this area, I think I would come up with a lot of excuses because I'm by nature inward focused and selfish. I think there's a tendency for all of us to focus on what we don't have, particularly in this area. We don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have training. We don't have the gift of mercy. We're not really that outgoing. Part of the humble, compassionate heart has a paradigm shift. Jesus will never come to you and ask you, what don't you have? When he comes to you, he's going to ask you, what do you have? Do you have an evening to invite a neighbor over or a friend over for dinner? Do you have time to go visit someone in the hospital? Can you give up one or two meals a month so that you have some money to support an orphan that's overseas? Do you have a listening ear for the person that is in desperate pain? Do you have a heart for the children on the fringe and are willing to do something about it? Jesus isn't asking us to give what we don't have. He's simply asking us to look again at our lives, ask him to help search and say, Jesus, is there anything more I can give to you? He'll take it from there. Here's the truth. We act on the things that we truly believe. That's a sign of belief. That's an essential attitude, and that is all heart. Here's one thing I want to say about the attitudes of humility and compassion because I believe this is intrinsic to these character traits, these attitudes, and I'll pose it this way. Does the humble person go around and say, hey, look how humble I am? When you first begin to serve out of compassion and humility, if you've never done it before, it's inevitable that you'll start having these thoughts. What an amazingly wonderful thing I'm doing. What a noble person I'm becoming. Why, are not, why aren't people really applauding what I'm doing? I have to admit, in my weaker moments, I've patted myself on the back, you know? Good job, George. 
You are truly a humble, caring person. My true wish for all of you is that you were a little bit more like me. Yeah? As you, that was sarcasm, okay? <laughs> As you grow in humility and compassion, I think what you'll discover, the deeper you go in, it is really a better way to live. It is really better to be focused on God and others. My life is really better when I love God more and I love others more, when I'm humble before God and others, when I care about what God cares about, when I see others how he sees them, no matter how ugly the world sees them, when I see them as created in his image, it's better. It's not just words. It's not just a sneaky way of trying to convince people to do what's morally good. It's a better way to live. Selflessly. The person that is deep into that just understands it. So the thoughts that used to occur to them don't occur to them anymore, and it just becomes part of their DNA. They're just doing it. They're just moving. I think compassion and humility make us more like Christ. Can you say, like Paul was able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Based on how you're living, the way you're living, who you're living with, do other people want to imitate your faith? A lot of people can talk. A lot of people can know a lot of different things, but in Hebrews 13, 7, it says this. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Do you look like Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? Do you love like Jesus? Reading these passages always, always makes me think, would anyone, anyone in their right mind think that about me? Would anyone say that about you? At the end of the day, do your actions make people say, wow, that guy's a lot like Jesus. Wow, I see Jesus in her. Jesus is our great Savior, but it's more than that. He's our great role model. May our lives be conformed to his so that when people look at us, they see Christ. When people see us loving one another, they get a glimpse of who God really is. I've asked the question, what if Jesus were here? What if he was sitting next to us? What if he was standing right next to me? Would it change us? Would it change me? That's the whole point. He is here, sitting right next to you. Let that truth change us. Change how we live, what we think. Fill us with humility and compassion. Over 20 years ago, my husband and I started a church. And one of the things I really wanted to do was have the whole church over to dinner. So I started inviting people over. And when they came, we would just have a simple meal and I would ask them questions. Questions that made them think about God and where He was in their life and where they were with Him. The really beautiful thing is the basis for gathering around the table is actually in Acts 2. When the church was first born, the believers were going to the temple, but they were also meeting each other's homes. It says in Acts 2.46 that every day they continued to meet together in temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Our desire is for you to be able to gather around the table and have that kind of deep connection over food and conversation. The basis for If Table is really simple. It's just six women, four questions, two hours. Every month on the second Sunday, we'll provide questions for you, maybe even some recipe ideas, and basically encouragement to gather your people around the table. The really amazing thing is six women can come in as strangers and leave as friends, people who know more about themselves and about each other and about Jesus. 
That's really the focus and the dream for what If Table is about. We'd love for you to sign up so we can keep in touch with you, and we'd love to encourage you. So pull up a chair and join If Table. Well, I'd like to invite uh, two people up this morning, Andrea and Teresa, who I think are really modeling it. And I think I want them to share um, their story because I think when you hear their story, you'll see this next piece. To have all these other attitudes, to be in people's lives, first you have to be vulnerable. First you have to open yourself up. And I think you guys have an amazing story. Tell me about the first time that you saw that, that video. Sure. So thank you. We were at the IF conference February 2014, and we saw that video, and we both looked at each other and said, let's do this. Um, But I just want to take you a little bit through the thought process of what went through my mind during that time and kind of what I journaled about. Um, The IF conference was on, if God is real, then how are you living differently? So it really hit me. If God is real, then it's time to get after it. What am I waiting for? Am I waiting for a more opportune time, a more convenient time? Am I waiting for my kids to be grown so there's less chaos in my home? What am I waiting for? So if God is real, then it's time to get after it. These are the people that I'm occupying planet space with for this little sliver of history. But what am I doing with the gospel? What am I doing with the love of Jesus that has saved, redeemed, and transformed me? God is the source of redemption, of courage, of love, of grace, and of mercy. Am I hoarding it? Am I wasting it? Am I neglecting it? Am I imagining the other things should supersede that or should contain my allegiance? If God is real, then I have a lot to share. And I sincerely want to live my life and make my choices and live bravely in such a way that makes it clear that I know that God is real. So the next month, March 2014, Teresa and I hosted our first IF table, and we've hosted IF tables every month for 12 months now. How do you know who to invite to the tables? So it's, it's pretty simple in the fact of how we do invites. It's either a text or a phone call, an email, or just a knock at the door with some of our neighbors. Um, and I think what we think about is just that um, there, if people know that there is a space at the table, they feel valued, treasured, It gives them confidence. So we just really pray about who needs the gift of a table. Um, And it's sometimes our neighbors. It's sometimes the parents of kids that are parents of other kids that go to our kids' schools. Um, It's sometimes a friend of a friend. In a couple of instances, it's been people that we've met through Facebook but haven't met in person. It's people who go to church, who don't go to church. It's just really God has orchestrated those tables, and that's been pretty amazing. That's awesome. Uh, Teresa, can you tell us, you've taken this to work. Tell us what that looks like. Yeah, you know, I, I, feel, I felt the Lord laying on my heart, um, embrace your place, uh, and the Holy Spirit nudging me to bring this into my workplace. I work in a corporate environment, and um, it felt really crazy that I was thinking that, but I, I decided to keep listening to that. And um, I was really nervous. I was really uncertain. Um, But at the same time, I was really convicted and committed. Um, I had been feeling a transformation happening after uh, after attending the conference. And and I went and I took that step forward and I formed a table. Um, And I really kept it simple. They they give you some ideas there in the video. And it was was a matter of I just invited eight women. Um, Not exactly the number, but it didn't matter. I had eight. And um, we gathered around a conference room table. 
And it was a fantastic opportunity to get to know one another better in, and again, in a really authentic and vulnerable way, which those words just aren't often mentioned in the workplace. And the, the interesting thing that's happened is um, over the course of the last couple of months, we've had some layoffs at my company. And sadly, we've actually lost some of the women that were part of my table. Um, but what's, what's really amazing is what God has done with that. Um, we have seen more women respond. Um, we now have over 40 women in different tables across a couple different groups in the company. Um, in addition, we're still keeping in touch with the women that have lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're just continuing to lift one another up. Um, and I see them, they are, we're not only around the table with one another, but we're attending conferences together. We are praying for one another um, and really just living through the joys and challenges of our lives. Excellent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Explain a little bit about the concept of the table. Why the table? Well, I believe that really there's no place like our homes to share his kingdom, do- his kingdom joy. I think when we open up our doors, um, we're basically saying we're receiving you. We're bringing you into our place. So I believe that when we invite people into our homes, it's saying, I noticed you. I've been thinking about you. I value you. I treasure you. I'm bringing you into my personal space. And I love that Jesus did this so well. So he met around the table with his buddies, right? He's called Zacchaeus. You come down. and going to your house today. I'm going to eat around your table. Um, and I think that there's something very powerful in that, that we're sitting around the table. You have to look at each other in the eyes <laughs> um, and be intentional to listen to one another and just be real with one another. Um, and it's not extravagant, our tables by any means, and the food isn't either. But what we pray for is that they can feel God's love that is extravagant. Um, and we do have the four questions that they mentioned in that video from the website, iftable.com. And we hope that it, those questions do get women thinking about God. But at many times, it is really less of what we say. And I want people to hear this. It is just the fact that people are around the table. Because what we've seen is that women start crying right during our opening prayer. And so in processing this, I've just been really thinking that what's powerful is, again, that feeling that people know that they're valued that they're at a part of a table, that the table is open for them. God's table is always open for you. Um, And we're vulnerable, we're raw, we're real. We share the messes of our lives so we can hopefully share authentically how Jesus meets us in those messes. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing I'd add is that, that women have just said, wow, this just feels so different. And again, Andrea and I are, are trying to help articulate what that different is, but, it, but I believe it truly is just the love for them, you know, trying to show that compassion, trying to show that vulnerability and have it be real. Um, you know, when one person starts to share from the heart, other people think, oh, it's okay for me to do that too. And if I want you to walk away with anything that I said up here, I just feel like through this experience I realized that three things. People just want to be loved. They just want to be heard, and they just want to be understood. And this is, it doesn't matter if I'm at my workplace. It doesn't matter if we're in our homes, in our neighborhoods, or wherever you are. We've been hearing about women doing these at a coffee shop. I mean, you don't even have to, you don't have to make food. Like, don't, whatever excuse you come up with, um, just pray, pray against it. Because, because it can be anywhere. It's just a framework. Um, it can be women. It can be men. It can be couples. Um, because we really feel like the time that you get to spend, you know, quieting all the distractions, taking a step away from that, is really time that's well invested. 
in, in loving on those people and having a little slice of heaven on earth. Thank you. Last question. Are there obstacles? What would keep you from hosting a table like this? So you've talked a little bit about this, is don't be comfortable, just move. So if we mm-hmm. were going to be comfortable, I don't think we would be doing this no. because <laughs> I'm hosting one actually tonight, and I'm telling you that these same things go through my mind every single month. Mm-hmm. And that is pride of comparison, perfectionism, my home's not good enough, my food's not good enough, and also fear. What are people going to think? So you start thinking about those invisible thoughts of all those other people that you invited to your table. And I think finally it's time. So I think we can let our calendars get so cluttered that even though this is in our heart, I truly believe it's in everybody's heart to really share Jesus, we let our calendars get cluttered and we don't take the time. So we've had to be really intentional about taking time to find a Sunday every month or sometimes whatever day of the week um, that, and just put it on our calendar. We have it on our calendar all the way through the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to share finally is that Acts 2.46, this is based off of, so that's two hours, four questions, six women. Acts 2.47, I love reading on because it is, as they were meeting, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we have seen people come into relationship with Jesus at our table, which is totally amazing, and all praise to God. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. You know, our attitudes make a huge difference in the people around us. There's incredible power in attitudes of humility and compassion and and vulnerability. And, And they all take choices. Our attitudes are, are not just formed by our thoughts, but they're formed by what we think and then by what we, we actually do. And after time, those actions begin to change our character so that we begin to be people who are looking out rather than just looking in. And uh, I remember a, a number of years ago, I read um, from uh, a great preacher, Chuck Swindoll. I think I had heard it on a message and then found it later somewhere. And he just talks about attitude. These attitudes of being humble people that are saying, God, how do I serve others? What does it mean for me not to get caught up in my knowledge, but to begin to start really living this and showing compassion and, and being vulnerable, which means you'll be afraid. Just, you know, by taking those steps, when you become vulnerable, you then open up a space for the Spirit of God to move. Chuck Swindoll said, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me, is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. As I I thought about that, one of the attitudes that God has been working deeply in my life, and I think one of the attitudes that 
that are so important that has a great power in people. You think about it. People that are grateful. You know people who are grateful? And they just have this sense of thankfulness. Ever been with people who seem to have nothing and yet they're thankful and joyful? That kind of attitude just changes things. And I was thinking about it as I was um, preparing this, just this part as we go into communion was, of all people, think about it, we have the most, the greatest reason to be grateful. I mean, every morning, I'm just kind of a beginner. I feel like I'm in kindergarten in this. I don't know why it's taken me so long. But every morning, just to list your thanksgiving before God and, and just to think about, God, look how you've protected me. I Maybe in ways I didn't even know. God, thank you for the blessings that I have, that I actually have a home that I can live in. Thank you, God, for this incredible fact of the truth that you love me because of what Jesus did. And every morning you can begin, if you start to just get yourself geared in that way, and it's another one of those, get your mind off of what you don't have, begin to start thinking of all that God has and what you have around you. And, and, and so I think of communion, and I think of the fact that Jesus, he is ready to go to his death, which is a physical death, which is incredibly painful, but also is aware that he's going to take on the sins of all people and be separated from his father. And he's sitting at a table. He's sitting at a table like we just talked about. Completely humble, completely compassionate, completely vulnerable. And he's looking at the eyes of these people, one who is going to betray him and one who's going to deny him and all of them who are going to flee and leave him forsaken all alone. And it says that when he had taken the bread, he... And he lifted the bread, and when he had given thanks, it says. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of all that, he still had this grateful heart. And I, I think one of the reasons why Jesus instituted you know, baptism as a way of, of, of professing what inwardly we believe and communion is the other one, is because he says on a regular basis, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So there's this idea that you're to do it. And he doesn't tell us how often, and he just says do it consistently, periodically, on a regular basis. He lifts up the bread, do this and remembers me. He lifts up the cup, he says, do this and remembers me. And then, and then we're told by Paul, these are words probably from Peter, so these are the first words around communion. This is even before the gospel were written. Paul is writing down to Corinth. He's, he's saying to them, and for whenever you do this. So they are already doing this meal. They weren't taking just a few pieces of bread. And some, they were actually celebrating a meal together. And they said, whenever you take this meal, I just want you to be grateful. Because you're loved. You're loved by God. And the evidence is in his humble, compassionate, vulnerable life given to you. And I think he says do this again and again because we always need resets, don't we? I don't think it's just a monthly thing. I think the reset for us is every morning we just get up and say, God, thank you again. I may not have a lot or may have this going on, but I just want to give you thanks. And I think people who are grateful, who are living with the attitudes we talked about, your message is powerful. You don't even have to hardly say anything. People feel it. 
I'm going to ask the ushers, you know, the servers to come forward at this time, and we're going to take this communion meal together. I feel like the Apostle Paul. I have so much more to say on, on this, but we'll leave it go. Would you bow your head? And if you have um, humbly come to a place where you have confessed your need of Jesus, the fact that, uh, not just that you sin, but you know you're a sinner. I mean, it's just the truth, that you haven't been perfect, you haven't done it right. If you have come to the place where you know that you need someone who will forgive you of your sin, and that someone is Jesus who represents God the Father here. This meal's for you. You may be needed to be reminded again this week. You blew it. You feel shame. And God's saying, let it go. It's not about what you can do. It's about how much I love you. I will transform you if you will feed, if you will drink, and you will just begin to take in my grace. Let this bread of my life, let this blood which courses through your veins begin to reform you, not because of what you can do, but because God is living in you. And he loves you. We receive this meal with great thanksgiving, with grateful hearts. Amen.